Kenny Gold here. Welcome back. Last week, we announced that we're replaying the audio from the hashtag SMW1 show. It's a weekly web show from our friends at Social Media Week. This week, Toby Daniels chats with Rashi Rosenberger from Google about trends she and her team have seen on the Google platform, as well as consumer behaviors seen during the pandemic. You'll also hear from, well, me, Kenny Gold. Toby and I discussed the story of the hashtag distance dance that swept TikTok and the country, and how to be creative and collaborative in quarantine. Without further ado, here's Toby from the SMW One Show. Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the SMW One Show. Very excited to see you all here. Hope you're doing okay out there in the madness of this global pandemic. Okay, before we get into it, I wanted to respond to a question that we received um, during last week's show from one of our audience members. Um, and it's a question I get uh, quite a lot, um, certainly since we first announced SW1, which of course is our new virtual conference series. And the question is, what is the vision for SW1 and how do we come up with a name? And so I'm going to take just a few minutes to sort of answer that question and provide a little bit more sort of background and context. So SW1 in many ways is as much of a reflection of this moment that we are all experiencing as it is an actual like virtual conference experience. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. So I talk a lot about the fact that I've spent most of my career focusing on one very specific question, which is how is technology changing how we connect and communicate? And I've looked at this question through every imaginable lens, including technology's impact on business, marketing, education, media, entertainment. And of course, I've also looked at it uh, in terms of the societal impact and also how it's changing culture around the world. And I love the question in many ways because there will never really be a definitive answer, only more questions and obviously more opportunities to discuss and debate this question. And this is of course, especially true given the ever increasing pace of technological change. And as an industry, we talk a lot about how social media brings us closer together, how it enables us to form communities and connect with relevant people and interests. And this has obviously always been true, but in my opinion, I think in recent years, we've lost our way a little bit. I mean, prior to COVID-19, let's sort of think back if we possibly can, the general sentiment in the media and the public perception was that social media is bad for us and bad for society. And today, of course, we're seeing it in a new light. And as we try and maintain contact with the people we love and stay up to date with the, the latest and most important and relevant news, what we're finding is social media is, of course, fundamental to our lives. It is perhaps one of the most important utilities that we are using today to get through this crisis. And furthermore, we are experiencing, in my opinion at least, the greatest shift in human behavior change since the invention of the personal computer and the advent of the internet. Case in point, I was speaking with a conference organizer recently and they bring together tens of thousands of finance and investment banking professionals through their global events program. And they were concerned that their audience wasn't digitally savvy enough or that the pivot to a virtual conference would just be too tough for them and their attendees. And the question that I asked them was, well, what do you think these people are doing right now? Like, how do you think they're spending most of their time while they work from home and while they work remotely? My bet is that they, much like the rest of us, are spending most of their time on video conferencing calls, right? But this isn't how finance professionals were doing business before COVID-19, but it is 
how they're doing business today. This shift in behavior is happening globally to professionals all around the world. I mean, if you look at Zoom, their users have jumped from 10 million to 200 million in just three months. This is our new virtual reality. So why SMW1? Well, the global pandemic is the first time that we've really come together as a global society to address a crisis, but with total unity and total focus, right? We are one world at this time, despite what the media or what politicians and governments will have you believe, we are in this together. And despite the fact that we are all impacted in different ways, and of course, that we are all separated from each other physically. And as I said before, technology is fulfilling an extraordinarily important role during this time, particularly in regards to how we remote work and how we connect in real time to our coworkers. And of course, and probably most importantly, how we can self-organize to help those in need. And as we think about what's happening in our industry and in our businesses and brands and our community and how everybody is being affected, it's important to remember and this is something that someone else said, I'm sort of stealing this quote from someone, but it's important to remember that we're actually not all in the same boat, as some would have you believe, but we are all experiencing the same storm. And the only way to weather a storm is to come together and chart a course that takes us to a place where we can reimagine the future of our industry. And SMW1 is the embodiment of this idea, right? When our head of design, Simon Dabkowski, came up with the idea and he sort of presented us with the name, we didn't hesitate for a second. We knew that SMW1 perfectly represented our core values and most importantly would become the vehicle that we would need to serve and support our industry the best way we possibly can. And so with that, let's get on with the show. Let's introduce our first guest. Please welcome Rashi Rosenberger. Rashi, welcome to the show. Hi, Toby. Great to see you. Great to see you too. It's so nice to see your wonderful smiling face. Thank you for joining the show today. Thank you, Toby. First thing we do, actually, before we jump into our conversation, is we're going to start with um, a poll. So we're going to put a poll up onto the screen for all of our audience to see, um, and then we'll get to the responses to this poll towards the end. So the question is, have you felt that you can trust information from technology platforms during this pandemic yes or no so we'll leave that up for a little bit um as we jump into the conversation with rashi rashi how are you doing great surviving surviving COVID 19 and uh feeling really lucky actually what where about you? you where are you right now are you out on the west coast i'm on the west coast based out of san francisco so i think it's a little different here than it is in new york but um we have all of the friends and family in new york and so we're really feeling um feeling for for everyone out there who's being affected by this yeah, no, it's, it's it's certainly tough times. So, um, well, Rashi, you know, you and I have known each other for many years. Um, you're back in the Pinterest days, you've been a regular speaker at Social Media Week. Now you are a creative strategist at Google, um, working across a range of consumer products, which is, I'm sure, a hugely fascinating and interesting role, especially at this time. You work on search, map, lens, photo, messaging. Um, and I'm sort of interested to kind of understand, like, you know, what, what are some of your observations at this time in terms of like how consumer behavior is changing during COVID-19 in regards to kind of how they're using technology, whether it's Google products or just, you know, consumer technology in general? Yeah, definitely. So we have seen a couple of shifts and it like as we are getting kind of into week five or week six, depending on what location you're in. 
um, as we're getting into the the longer phases of this lockdown, we're sort of starting to see some some very clear and identifiable trends. And it it makes sense based off of what we're seeing, um, our passion points and and things that people are paying attention to. So, um, for example, you have parents who are looking to educate their kids. They are at home and they are forced to do um, schoolwork with the t- with the kids. They're forced to do um, uh, video conference calls, whatever that might be. And so as a result of that, what we've been seeing is a real shift to a real shift of getting deeper in a lot of our more education type suites. So um, Google Lens is a really popular one in terms of all of its help with homework. Um, we've seen uh, Google AR animals um, in search as another really popular way to, to help kind of entertain the kids. Um, and I think a, a couple of other examples, Google Earth and tours for uh, tours for national parks have also been something that are really popular. And those are all things that you can find on our on our social. Um, channel. So I think that is is not surprising. On the other hand, we also see people starting to reminisce. Um, so people are starting to use Google Photos memories um, as just a way to remember the great times that they had a year, two years ago. What are places that they traveled to? What are all the memories that they had with their friends? And what we see is people are really starting to use our technology as a way to connect with other people in the absence of that one-on-one personal connection. How can we use all of these different pieces of technology to build, to continue to build and sustain these relationships? You know, I, we, we talk a lot at the moment about the fact that, you know, we're experiencing you know one of the most significant kind of shifts in human behavior that we've probably ever seen forced upon us to a certain extent, but we are all adapting and surviving in the best way that we possibly can. When you think about like the Google suite of products and, and what you're seeing in terms of user behavior right now, where do you think people will be in the future? Do you, do you think that, you know, because of for nostalgic reasons and because everyone wants everything to get back to normal, people will just revert back? Or do you think that some of these behaviors are here to stay? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. So um, I, I don't know exactly but here are a couple of hypotheses that I have. Whether they are right or not, we, time will tell. Um, I think that th- this is actually something that um, Sundar said, uh, the CEO of Google, and I think it was really compelling. One of the things that we, uh, one of the, one of the important things as we're thinking about uh, working and working remotely is that as an organization, we have built foundations. So when we're thinking about our interpersonal connections, we've built foundations. And so we're able to do these digital and virtual kind of connections and meetups because the foundation has already been established. As we think about the future, I think that 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 foundation of interpersonal connection is still going to be really critical. Um, But I think that there's not a chance that this will not change the way that we conduct business, the way that we have relationships. And I think that the change will most likely last for the next one, two years, and will eventually kind of become part of our cultural ecosystem. And I, I imagine that the, the places, the areas that will be most impacted include um, work, our working lives and the way that we think about work. And then I also think the way we travel is going to be really greatly affected. No, certainly. Um, well, obviously, you're one of uh, uh, well, you were previously a speaker at Social Media Week in New York. Um, but obviously, that event is now no longer happening as we pivoted into this like virtual alternative. But um, thankfully, you've come with us and you will be uh, speaking as part of SMW1 in May. 
Um, and your talk specifically is, is designed to help attendees understand the meaning behind mission-driven marketing. As a preview to your talk, can you sort of talk a little bit about what this term really means to you specifically and to, to Google and, and why it's so important today, particularly, obviously, given uh, the time that we are in. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of, of my talk, Toby, you know that I have a neuroscience background and it's one of my favorite things to geek out on. So understanding human behavior and also human motivation um, and what the biological reason for that behavior is, I think, one of the most compelling things that we as marketers have the opportunity to take advantage of. So um, and hopefully it's not taking advantage of it in a creepy way, but in a way that makes the experience better for the end user. So as I think about marketing experiences and making sure that we're always thinking about the user first, I think it's really critical for us to explore uh, motivations in the time of coronavirus and also post-coronavirus. What are the motivations that people have to love brands? Why are people um, making the business decisions that they do? I think as we... Um, I think right now we're in this time where brands are representative of identity. Identity is so much part of our culture. And how can we as brands make sure that we are creating and making the right decisions for our consumers that allow them to identify with the work we do and feel good about it and feel proud of their decision to support our brand in that way? So uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it will, of course, have a little bit of bits of neuroscience and why people make the decisions that they do and what those motivations are. And how can we as brands and marketers fulfill that desire to have a loftier goal and a loftier mission outside of just selling something or getting someone to use your product? So um, let's let's switch to the thorny topic of uh, privacy. So obviously, you know, today people are demanding greater privacy. Um, also transparency and choice and control over how the data is used, when and obviously by whom. I know Google um, is doing a, a ton of really important work in, in this regard. It, how, how do you see the, the sort of the world of technology and, and technology platforms and consumer technology in particular needing to evolve um, in response to this like increased demand for, for greater privacy and greater control over the data that you use? Yeah, I, it's. I think it's one of the most important issues um, that's facing Google and other tech companies right now. Um, I'm going to quote Cinder, our CEO, one more time. Um, the way that we think about privacy is the way that we build out products. We think about it as one of the most critical things and nothing matters if we don't have the user's privacy and if we don't have the user's trust. And so what we do to build that privacy and to build that trust is... We make sure that when we build and we're using data and when we build products, we're putting privacy first. It's about it's about it's up to the user to decide and to consent, and it's about being transparent. Um, there was back in the day, I was on the agency side um, at Razorfish, and we had a really fantastic user experience team. And I learned about the theory of uh, good UX and dark UX where you can actually build experiences that get people to do something that may be right for the business, but is not right for them personally. Um, I will say that as I've uh, kind of learned more about Google and, and become deeper in, into the process, there is no such thing as dark UX. Everything that is good for the product is good for the consumer. And we always keep that top of mind. No, I think that's, uh, I think that's well said. 
and we will um i think get to this when we when we pull the poll back up again in a few minutes but we've certainly seen um a shift in sentiment i think you know in regards to consumer perception and 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 how consumers feel um about the the technology services and the platforms that they ultimately use in their lives and i and i wonder because the sentiment has changed, and I think that people feel more positive, generally speaking, we'll, we'll find out whether that's really the case, um, that, that their attitudes and relationship to privacy um, is also sort of shifting as a result. Are you seeing that? Are you, are you seeing kind of almost like a relaxing of, of, of people's attitudes around privacy at this point? Or, or do you think it's just as important today as it was um, previously? Um, from the consumer standpoint, not obviously from Google's perspective. No, I, I think that's a that's a great question. Um, it may be that there's short-term relaxation from the consumer's perspective, but it's going to be something that I know tech companies, brands, businesses will always take so seriously. It's like reputation. Um, you work so hard to build up your reputation, and in one fell swoop, one bad decision can be the thing that ruins that ruins brand reputation, and so. Uh, I think that even in these weird times, brands have the responsibility to put privacy and trust top of mind, no matter what they're, um, no matter what. And and uh, I will just speak to to one of the things: transparency is the most critical piece of that. Making sure that consumers understand and opt in, as opposed to uh, having something as the default and needing to opt out. No, well said. All right, so um, let's get personal. So. You've been in quarantine in lockdown for presumably a month like the rest of us. Um, so what are some of the, the, the good habits and behaviors that you've been developing over this time? And what are some of the bad habits? <laughs> so does my pack a day of Oreos count as a good habit or as a bad habit? I mean, at this, point, at this point, I think, you know, it's okay. <laughs> so um we've we've actually been really hus- uh, really really lucky um my husband and i and our 10 month old have been have been stuck at home and um we have managed to go and get out on walks and try to um try to make sure that we're spending we're taking advantage of this using it as a, as a little bit of a silver lining that we can spend some more family time together um i'll give a quick shout out to my husband he has his own um direct to consumer business where they're selling backpacks he's one of the many small businesses that's really been affected by um by the lockdown and so uh he's actually shifted uh his manufacturing from backpacks to building medical shields and i think that that sort of speaks to um, the importance and responsibility of brands to do the right thing. There is a great Edelman study where it said that uh, 81% of, of consumers expect the brands that they buy and support to do the right thing. Um, and so so from a personal perspective, we've been really lucky, but very busy. Um, and so we're just trying to, to take advantage of that. And I will just say, if you want to support my husband, uh, go to dayowl.com and buy a backpack. No, he's he's doing incredible work. It doesn't surprise me that he's even made that kind of pivot. And it, it, there's such an enormous amount of self-sacrifice as a small business owner when you sort of think about, you know, how do I protect and 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 um, you know enable my business to survive during this time, while also at the same time, how do I think about how to best serve? Uh, and clearly, you know, he's he's leading the way in that regard. So it's always inspiring to see. So um, you know, send, send him my best regards, and we'll, we'll definitely um, give him a good shout out in the chat and the comments as well, so we can uh, send people to uh, to that website. All right. So um, 
let's get back to the poll. Let's check it out. So as a reminder to everyone, the question was, how have you felt that you can trust information with their platforms during the pandemic? Um, so let's go back to the question. It should be coming up here. Oh, interesting. So uh, 59% feel that you can trust and 36% feel like, so it's really interesting how it's even, any, any kind of thoughts or reflections on that? What do you think? Is this different than you expected or, or kind of similar? I, I, the, I think tech platforms and I, I'm, I'm part of it, but I think we do have a lot of work to do. And so I was maybe hoping for a little bit more trust, but I'm, I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, had we uh, had the foresight to ask this question before COVID, then it would be interesting to sort of compare people's responses. But, um, you know, the, the general feeling is that people are feeling that they can trust these companies a little bit more, in part because of the ways in which, you know, these companies are leading at this time, um, recognizing their obligations and responsibility to sort of serve society in the best way that they can. And it's, it's clear that, that so many of them obviously are and obviously do that is uh, Google. I, I would love to actually ask a question of all the students in the world that are using Google Classroom, how they feel about that product and the fact that they're having to be stuck at home and be homeschooled, but um, homeschooled by Google, but uh, we, we won't have that opportunity. So, um, so Rashi, listen, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Great, thanks so much. So let's welcome our next guest, um, who is one of my favorite people in the world of social media, Kenny Gold. Kenny, welcome to the show, my friends. Yo! Toby. What's up, man? Nice to see you. I can't believe that I have to follow Rashi up. It's not fair. <laughs> well, listen, man, she sets a high bar, but I'm confident that you can uh, you can reach it. So I appreciate you being here, man. I hope you're, hope you're keeping well. I hope you're uh, coping through the pandemic. Before we get into our conversation, let's kick off the next poll question, um, which relates um, beautifully to, to what uh, Kenny and I are going to be talking about. So the question is, has your perception of what it means to collaborate and be creative changed during this time? So hopefully you can see the poll is coming up right now. Just give it a few seconds. So the poll will come up. So if you could respond to the poll, this is a, a message to our audience. We can respond to the poll um, right now. It'll be up for a minute or so. Um, and while people are voting, uh, let's get into our conversation. So, so can you kick us off just just by first, just so people really understand who you are and what you do? Um, just sort of describe your role at Gray. Sure. So, I am the director of social media for our North American region, and I am responsible for helping to ensure that social is at the heart of every idea and every campaign that we put out in the world for our clients. And it's not just about social with a capital S, it's about social with the lowercase uh, S, which is really thinking about connected communities and uh, how we get people uh, to interact with brands and one another. That's what I do. Do we lose Toby? Am I going to have to carry this thing? Did this go from a panel to a keynote? Oh, no. All right. It's just me right now without Toby. What am I going to talk about? Well, um, oh, geez, the Kenny Gold Show is what has just happened. Um, all right. Well, since I know the questions that Toby was going to ask me, why don't I just kick it off and tell you a little bit about what we have been up to uh, over at Gray. Um, so most recently, uh, we have uh, been working on... Uh, 
Is he back? Tobe, you let you know what? It's, it's interesting, Kenny. Let me just say one thing. I didn't really go anywhere for some reason. Uh, I just went off camera. So it was just really, it was fun to see you kind of work through that moment. Um, just, like, you know, Tobe, just so you know, I was literally one second away from recreating the primal scream from Social Media Week London. <laughs> but you got back in time. Very good, very good. Carry on, as you, as you were saying. So I was just talking a little bit about some stuff we've been up to at Gray, and, and one of the, the big programs that we released uh, a couple of weeks ago was for Procter & Gamble. And the idea was called the Distance Dance. And what the, the story behind the Distance Dance is almost as miraculous and awesome as the actual activation itself, uh, which was it was a Friday evening, and Governor DeWine of Ohio called uh, the, the leadership at P&G and said, uh, Gen Z is not staying home. Millennials are not staying home. What can we do? So P&G calls Gray. Uh, our, our president of global brands, Debbie Reiner, calls me. I get on the phone with a few other folks on the team. Um, and overnight, we are on the phone with TikTok. We've identified that Charlie D'Amelio is going to be our influencer we're going to work with. If you don't follow Charlie, she has 48 million followers on TikTok, something incredible. Um, and then uh, we got on the phone with P&G that Saturday morning. We said, this is what we want to do. We want to create an original dance that encourages people to physically distance and stay home. Working with Charlie, we create the dance. We actually built in a charitable component. And by the following Wednesday, so in a four-day period, we identified the platform, identified the partner, created the dance, put it out into market and got people activating. And to date, it has been live for about four weeks now. Uh, the hashtag distance dance has 12.9 billion views on TikTok. Uh, there have been over 3 million original videos created. We're well on our way to 4 million original videos. Uh, and it has been covered everywhere. The View, uh, USA Today, uh, The Today Show, Sports Center, um, Inside Edition Entertainment Tonight, Access Hollywood, um, you name it, it's been, it's been pretty much everywhere. Uh, and it just shows the simplicity and power of a social idea. It also speaks to this idea that you don't necessarily need your creative teams in the same room to be able to come up with like awesome ideas to talk a little bit about how gray, you know, which is one of the world's like leading creative agencies, how gray has adjusted to this like moment. Um, in terms of how your teams work collaboratively and creatively to come up with these sorts of ideas? Yeah, so obviously we're on Teams, Microsoft Teams all the time. Uh, sorry for the Google folks out. Sorry, Rosh, we're not on Hangouts as much. Uh, uh, but uh, we are uh, talking all the time. It's just constant. Uh, we get, we're shooting text messages to each other about ideas that we have. We'll be watching TV or listening to a podcast while on a walk or we'll be reading a, an article in the, in the New Yorker or online or whatever it might be, and we might have a spark and we jump on Teams or we shoot a text message um, and we're able to just start to collaborate rapidly. Now, as most people can tell, I have a lot of energy. So when I'm in the office setting, I can bump around and have a good time and really talk to people. But being forced and confined into a space like we are right now, it actually forces us to sit and focus and work together uh, in a more collaborative way. And I think um, the advertising industry has been evolving over the last decade or so. And uh, it seems like what we're dealing with now and what will happen in a post-COVID age 
will actually be the renaissance that we needed and it will be done in a more rapid fashion because we're, we're forced to. Totally. You know, I think now more than ever, you know, consumers faith in brands um, and, and what they are expecting from brands during this time is to step up and fulfill, you know, their sort of obligations and, and their responsibilities in terms of their impact on society. Um, and obviously, P&G is a great example of this, N not just in the context of the distance dance. Obviously, that's just a great campaign, but P&G has led the way in terms of how it thinks about impact and how it thinks about its role in society for, for many, many years. Um, what, what, what do you think outside of the P&G example? What, what are some of the other brands that you're seeing leading in this space also? And, and what do you think brands should be doing more of at this time? Yeah, let's start with what we should be doing less of, which is less montages. So montages have been utilized uh, because... What do you mean? What do you mean? Describe what you mean by montage. Yeah, so it's every spot. If you turn on the TV, you'll see a montage, you know, right. in, in a world, that kind of thing where it's like, we're all at home. And, and the sentiment is right. And, and everyone's trying to say the right thing. But the test of creativity is going to be our ability to move beyond the montage, right? So um, what, where you start to see some really interesting things come out is, uh, for example, Kettle One did an entire uh, hand-drawn campaign that launched last year. And one of the spots that they did was focused on the uh, concept of moderation, right? So we're all sitting at home. There's booze everywhere. And the message of moderation is more important than ever before. So they actually repurposed that spot to go live on TV during this time. So they didn't need to create, we at Kettle One are sitting and thinking about all of you at home. But no, it was a, a perfectly uh, adapted version of the spot that they already have to match what's going on during these times. Um, Steakums. I know everybody's talking about Steakums, but um, having a really, really solid brand voice on social allows for you to enter conversations in an authentic way and to avoid conversations uh, at the right time. So I think it's a lesson in uh, being able to build the appropriate channel planning and brand voice on social so that you can adapt to what's going on. Brand purpose and brand principles are only as valuable as when they're tested at a time like this. So if you stand for something in advertising, marketing, and social, when the world's okay, being able to test the limits of that brand purpose during a time like this are even more critical. And it actually proves which brands are able to actually live their purpose and which aren't. Got it. Um, so obviously, you know, I'm sure Gray will be continuing to talk about the distance dance campaign as it, as it continues to gain even more traction. It's extraordinary to look at those numbers. But also, um, you know, in addition to that, you you are going to be um, speaking during SMW one, and you're uh, specifically going to be talking about the importance of empathy um, as a tool in marketing, um, which of course is so important and, and cr critical, um, particularly obviously during this time. Um, what, what are some of the things that you're going to touch on in your talk in regards to the, the power and importance of empathy, particularly obviously in the context of brand marketing? Yeah, I think we are starting to identify pillars that live as the, the guiding principle of a, 
of a COVID world, a post-COVID world, and being able to market with empathy. Um, three H's, because like any good marketer, I've got some sort of framework or platform to work with. So honesty, humanity, and helpfulness. Um, th those are the three things that we constantly need to keep reminding ourselves of, because if it isn't helpful right now, it's not worth putting out. We need to help, not talk. Honesty. So we have to be honest about where we are with, you know, what we can do, how we can do it, how we're treating our staff and our employees and do it in a way that uh, provides some sort of honesty and, and transparency to help really drive authentic messaging. Um, and then humanity. Uh, yes, we are not all in the same boat, but we are all in it together. And uh, that's an important thing. I was listening. I always listen. What are you talking about? Um, and I'm going to have a little bit of a human moment. My five-year-old niece and my two-year-old nephew are watching. So I just want to say hi to Ava and Miles because I know they're watching. <laughs> That's amazing. No, we, we, we love, uh, love bringing in the audience regardless of how old they are. Um, so a question for you um, that I've been asking all of our guests. We've been in quarantine for over a month. What, what are some of the good and bad habits that you've developed over that time? Oh, boy. Um, well, I can make a mean old fashioned now. Nice. At like uh, 9 a.m. So we, we always talked about drinking during things like this. So, uh, you know, if you make it an hour or two later, we might be able to pull that in. Uh, honestly, since since my wife and I left the city, we've been doing a lot of walking. Uh, we get out of the of the house. We're at my in-laws. Uh, send your apologies later. Um, and, you know. We, we get outside, we're in Connecticut and we're, we're among the trees and the wind and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's actually quite refreshing. We, we socially distance and we wear our mask, but just taking the time without headphones, without our phones to walk is a really nice thing. Uh, and being able to make a good drink within moderation is also a good thing. A good drink in moderation. It's uh, sage advice that I'm sure almost no one is following right now. Um, let's, uh, let's go back to our poll. So just as a reminder, yeah. the question was, uh, has your perception of what it means to collaborate and be creative changed during this time? Um, let's pull up our poll results. Um, again, that's a very even split, very interesting. Um, wow. so 59, 58% of people said yes. Um, their perception of what it means to collaborate and be creative has changed and 33% no. So, you know, more people, you know, are, are, responding to the moment and a feeling that collaboration and creativity is something that can be enhanced. Any, any thoughts or reactions yeah, to that? It, Kenny? It's kind of weird. It's like, it's not the, it's not the, the principles of collaboration. It's the method of collaboration. Right. So, you know, I think it has, there are people who have been working from home for years now. This has just forced us to adapt our methods of collaboration but not the principles of how we do it. Right. No, that's well said. Very good. All right. Well, um, Kenny, you've been amazing. I can't wait to bring you back in to the show later on. But for now, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and wisdom. Uh, we'll see you very shortly. Well, that was fun. Later this week, you'll get to hear the rest of that conversation. Five things friend of the show, Katie Perry, the VP of marketing, public.com. In the meantime, we encourage you to go to socialmediaweek.org for more information about the SMW1 Virtual Conference from May 5th through the 20th. 
There you can also sign up for the weekly Five Things newsletter. Thanks for listening to Five Things. The Five Things podcast is produced by Andrew Petit, Grace McDougall, Joey Scarillo, John Dillon, and Al Manorino, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.